Change can be difficult, but is often necessary. It's particularly hard when it comes to changing unhealthy habits. But what if asking the right questions in a specific way could motivate you to make those necessary changes? Today, we're talking about how motivational interviewing is being used to strengthen personal motivation and commitment among patients working to meet health goals. I'm Marisol Murphy-Ballantyne, and this is NAC Health Center News. Today's podcast features Chris Bowling, a pediatrician from Kentucky. Dr. Bowling recently participated in a NAC webinar where he discussed the use of motivational interviewing and health to help patients reach goals that can improve their well-being. Developed by William Miller for the University of New Mexico and Stephen Rolnick from Cardiff University, motivational interviewing is designed to strengthen personal motivation for and commitment to a specific goal by eliciting and exploring the person's own reasons for change within an atmosphere of acceptance and compassion. I use motivational interviewing a lot when it comes for weight management. I've also wound up doing a lot of motivational interviewing training for people who are um, doing things with regards to a lot of activities. I'm currently in a project where we use motivational interviewing to help with identification of ACEs and encouraging families to engage in the use of a parenting specialist. So there's a lot of different applications for this. Dr. Bowling says this is adapted motivational interviewing. And while traditional motivational interviewing can be certified, the basics offer some best practices for all. Motivational interviewing is more of a spirit of it. There's more of a, it's good interviewing habit. So if you remember, what's the central issue around behavior change? It's always about ambivalence. And this is something that I think is important to remember. You know, it's natural human tendency. If I tell you how to get to a store that is across town and I say, go to the end of the street, turn left, your brain as a human automatically goes to, what if I turn the other direction? What if I turn left instead of turning right? So it's a normal human tendency to push back against any behavior that is suggested to you. So when someone says you need to gain, you need to lose weight, you need to eat healthier, you need to eat more vegetables, you immediately go into, well, what if I don't? So it's a natural human tendency. And as providers, we really want to get away from personalizing it. This is a normal, I say normal tendency, something to be expected. Motivational interviewing strives to address this issue of ambivalence. In a patient-provider relationship, it's easy to jump directly to the fourth phase of motivational interviewing, the phase where the provider says to the patient, here's what you need to do, here's your plan, rather than working with a patient towards a collaborative plan, says Bowling. We need to back up a lot of times, and even the plan needs to be very collaborative, but we need to go through these first three steps before we can really start getting down to the issue of what is the plan for this patient. What are those steps? It's important to remember that it is engaging first. Um, you know, these things that sound like small talk, where you're getting to know your patients, getting to understand their value system, getting to understand what's going on with them. That's an important, important step. And you're going to, I think it's really well suited for those of us in primary care because we're really good at engaging with families. We, you know, learn about our families. We know about them. We know how many siblings they are. We know if there's food insecurity oftentimes. 
We know if there are other issues taking place, if there's a divorce going on. So we just have a better chance, and we're going to know more about behavior change when we take the time to engage. We have to guide. We have to do a little bit of shared agenda setting. We have to find a focus about what's doable and what the patient buys into. You know, if we think that the issue is you have to drink less soft drinks and the family doesn't want to go there, but they want to do something else, that's fine. We want to find a mutually um, agreed upon agenda. We don't want it to come purely from the provider. But these collaborative plans also need to make sense. So there has to be a little bit of this shared, like this is appropriate for us as a family that we can address. It's also appropriate medically that this is a good target. The third process, which is called evoking, means that we're looking for what is inside that family that is going to get them activated. We assume as providers that if a patient is sitting in your office, that they're just waiting to drink from the font of knowledge that you're about to provide them with, that they are there because they care about health, that they are there because they want to hear what you have to say. They are there because they are also concerned about weight issues. Probably not true on any of those counts. People come to their visits for a lot of different reasons. And what we find is that what's going to evoke action for one family is not going to be the same for the next family. For one patient, it might be about wanting to fit into clothes more comfortably. For another family, it might be wanting to avoid diabetes. For another family, it is going to be want to avoid bullying. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people might be willing to make a change, but it's going to take a little bit of time to figure out what that trigger point is and activating that trigger point. The fourth phase, the planning phase, doesn't mean a plan produced solely by the provider, says Dr. Bowling. It has to be a mutually agreed upon plan. Um, It's a little bit of negotiated and you consolidate what you've invoked before. Dr. Bowling looks for change talk or sustained talk and what his patients say. Change talk means your patient gives you a signal that they're ready to move forward. It's what you're trying to elicit from them. Sustained talk is their defense of the current status quo. So for some patients, it could be something along the lines of, you know, I know it's important for me to lose weight for my health, but I really just don't have time for that right now. The change talk piece of it is, you know, I know that this is going to be important for my health. So you're going to see this come up a lot in motivational, when you're talking about motivational interviewing. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to tease out what's change talk and what's sustained talk. And why it's important is you're going to have to use the sustained talk to figure out how you're going to overcome what barriers exist for that family, and you're going to use the change talk to identify what is going to be the thing you want to activate with them. He says it's important to listen to what patients are saying to try to understand if what they are saying is defending their current lifestyle or if it means they are open to change. He also points to another tool in motivational interviewing. Let's talk about a tool called Elicit, Provide, Elicit. It's a synthesis of motivational interviewing skills. You'll use open-ended questions when you do an EPE cycle. Um, You might use some reflective statements when you do an EPE cycle. You're going to be thinking about these four processes of motivational interviewing when you're doing things. But what you're doing in an Elicit, Provide, Elicit cycle 
is you're providing a limited amount of material in a bite-sized piece and asking your client, your patient, for a response. So what you're doing is you're giving them information. It's not advice giving. You're giving a piece of information that might be helpful for them. Asking permission to offer information is essential to the illicit provide illicit cycle. People forget to ask for permission and also a response, says Dr. Bowling. It's inflection is important. Context is important. The quality of the answer reflects the quality of your question. So, you know, with motivational interviewing, we're trying not to lead them. We're trying not to get them to know what the right answer is. We want to really understand what's going on with that family. That's the whole point of, of open questions is trying to really understand what's going on. Listening starts with genuine curiosity. If you really don't care what's going on, you're not going to get a, a, a meaningful answer. Don't get discouraged, he says, if you don't see progress with one visit because chances are you will see this patient again and can always bring the topic up again. But it's important to remember, you know, practice makes perfect. You do not become comfortable with these skills overnight. It represents a change to the language we use and it's important to have fun with it. I've had more physicians say to me like, this feels stupid to ask for permission. I mean, they're here to hear what I have to say, so I'm going to say it. You know, they may not really be ready to hear what you have to say. Um, and, you know, practice it. See what happens when you ask for permission. It feels awkward the first few times you do it. starts feeling more natural and can be very powerful. Thank you to Dr. Bowling for discussing motivational interviewing with us. If you want to keep up with the latest Health Center news, follow us on Twitter at NACHC. Thanks for listening. The music featured in this podcast is Thereafter by A.A. Alto.